Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. Today, I'm so excited to share with you an interview that I had with Denny S. Bryce, who is the author of historical fiction, and her third novel has just come out. It's called The Other Princess, a novel of Queen Victoria's goddaughter. And I mentioned this in the interview, but I'm so excited that a book exists about this person who it's about, which is Sarah Forbes Benetta, who was Queen Victoria, like that Queen Victoria, her goddaughter. And I think Denny is just the perfect person to have written this book. It's so good. I was really excited to talk to her about how she heard about Sarah, just sharing a little bit about Sarah's life without getting into stuff that'll spoil the book for you and just how she sees that connect to to today, like why this book matters and why it's such an exciting book to be coming out right now. So please enjoy this interview with Denny S. Bryce. Okay, so I'm joined today by Denny S. Bryce, and your newest book is The Other Princess. Denny, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. I'm very glad to be here today and chatting about this book. My third novel, my first with William Morrow. So pretty cool. I'm not mad at anybody. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, The full title, I'm going to throw in that subtitle because it has uh, some fun attached to it. Uh, The Other Princess, a novel of Queen Victoria's goddaughter. And the smart marketing people at William Morrow added that wonderful tag because that puts you right where you need to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It explains right away what we're doing. So explain, explain who, who is your novel about? Explain. My novel is inspired by the life of Sarah Forbes Veneta, a real person. In fact, this is my first biographical historical fiction, and it was an exciting journey. I mean, how the book was uh, came to be and was born, and then the research and writing. It was something that I had not um, had. The, it was just a different process, but it was so exciting. And, and keeping in mind that I said, third book, and the cover is beautiful, but you can't see the cover. Go look for it. I'm going to post the cover. I'll post the cover. It's a beautiful cover. Yes, yes. I love the covers. That, another, some more kudos for the team over there at William Morrow. But how Sarah Forbes Bonetta was the the sort of script on her, the short story, if you will, is that she was gifted, and I put that word in quotes always, to Queen Victoria by a captain, um, you know, I had to bring up his name, Frederick <laughs> Forbes, because her middle name is Forbes. Uh, he was a lieutenant commander in the British Navy. Part of his work, his role in the British Navy at the time, um, I think it's British Royal Navy, but anyway, 
at the time was to go to Africa and and work on behalf of the queen, interacting with the different African tribes and kingdoms and hierarchies to talk about, um, you know, uh, if the um, some of them were involved in certain types of, I guess the word is agriculture, this, that, and the other, but some were involved in the slave trade. And so since the Brits, I believe they, their law was 1834 in terms of ending in slavery and slavery trafficking, if you will, um, part of his mission in the 1840s was to go and interact with these different tribal leaders and try to talk to them about changing their model of, of generating revenue. I guess that's the a way of putting it, uh, a tragic way of putting it, but a way of putting it nonetheless. Um, so he's on his mission, hanging out in King Gizo's camp. Uh, Gizo was the king of the Dahomey uh, tribe. And he uh, just out of all the children and adults and people around him, because part of what uh, King Giso did in, and again, I put this in quotes, celebration and showing his own wealth, if you will. He has certain celebrations where there were a lot of uh, deaths and massacres of people as a, to show that he had enough enslaved people that he could, you know, sacrifice a certain number and still have more. So our dear captain went and saw one child that somehow caught his attention and he cut a deal. I please let me take this child to the queen who is your equal in England and show her this gift. And um, the thing that um, in terms of source materials that I found amazing were two journals written by Captain Frederick Forbes. And he described, I mean, part of what he did was as he journaled constantly about all of his travels. And he had sections not only about the Dahomey, but sections about the um, vegetation, sections about the animals and things that were a part of the various regions he was visiting. Um, So these two volumes were published in 1851, and they're on the internet, by the way, you can download the PDFs and figure and just thumb through his words, um, which is always amazing when you're getting original text. So anyway, that's her origin story, if you will, from that perspective. But her true origin story has to do with her family in her village before they were enslaved before they were murdered he was her father was a king she had she was a princess she was one of his children and as a princess she had certain privileges within the context of her community recognition what have you there there's special statures and standings and i used that uh, just those facts because of course i was not there and did not talk to her or her family but there were certain, I guess, benchmarks, I will call them, in her history that really contributed to my having what I feel, felt as I was writing it, 
a greater connection to the young woman, the little girl, the person that she was and had to be in order to succeed, in order to survive, in order to retain her own identity in a culture, in a time where her identity was defined by others. And so she had to find her way to keep who she was the best way she could. Do you remember when you first heard about her, like before this book was even something you were doing? There was a show on Netflix or something, I can't remember which, called Victoria. And there's a scene in one of the episodes where Victoria, this is the one where the gal who played on Doctor Who. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, you know, yeah. because there are many yeah. Victorias, you know what I'm talking about. The actress who played on Doctor Who. Uh, so we have a connection if you're quick to know Doctor Who, right? So I saw her there and I, it's just sort of like, oh, I wonder if that's true, um, you know, to have this uh, African little girl in this episode and have Victoria inter- Queen Victoria interact with her. So that was a passing search. Just did it and went on about my business. Then Tessa Woodward, who is my editor at William Morrow, um, put up a post on, on then Twitter not X Twitter, but then Twitter. And um, her post was, Sarah Forbes Spinetta, I wonder why anyone, has anybody a story or where's this book? I want this book. And I'm paraphrasing her her tweet, of course. But I was like, hmm. And then another another, uh, great friend of mine, Vanessa Riley, uh, also mentioned the tweet to me and I was like oh mm." so I then I went about the business of trying to put my put it something together and present to Tessa so that we could get that ball rolling and she liked what I presented and that was the origin story of how that started you know and and the research was phenomenal uh just phenomenal not only there were some some pieces that I found right away, and and one of them might be near me, and then again, may not. <laughs> I'm looking at my, I keep forgetting I'm not necessarily on camera, but I am looking around at my bookshelf, and one of the books was written in 1999 by Walter, and I'm going to mess over his last name, but he was an African-American children's book author. Walter Dean Myers. Thank you so much. And um, what he did, some, he was known, I guess, um, to always be a big fan of old bookstores. And the story that I read was that a London bookstore found buried in a corner a bunch of letters written by Sarah Forbes Bonetta and um, called him and said, hey, you know, this is something that I think is up your alley. So come on over <laughs> from America to London. And I'll hold this stuff for you. And that's where he got that, his origin story, if you will. And there was a lot of information there. In addition, one, um, a resource that I mentioned frequently to those interested in historical fiction and what the research is about is newspapers. If you're in 
that time period where there was some printing presses and at least that means of communication around. So BritishNewspapers.com, Newspapers.com, ProQuest. I happen to be an adjunct professor at Drexel University in the MFA program, which means I have access to this fabulous online community and people The Library of Congress Ask a Librarian, which is also an online feature of the Library of Congress, can be so powerfully useful. Um, The the people who man or woman those phones um, or that line of um, the Ask a Librarian at the Library of Congress are very responsive. And it's, it's really a great tool. So those pieces. It so happened that I visited London on several different occasions. And during two of them, I think, at least two, if not one, I visited Windsor Castle. And it's a tour, but still the feel and the time spent. So I had that uh, experience to rely on. A lot of reading was the rest of what I was able to pull and, and global, you know, like the some of the online tools that allow you to see different communities up close, even though you're many, many thousands of miles away. Lots of information that I found intriguing about the school she went to when she was young that the queen insisted she attend. And everything from what was purchased for her was tracked through almost like an accounting system because I think one of the primary people responsible to the queen for her travels and what have you was um, an account was a treasurer if you will so there was a lot of uh, financial fact checking back and forth that was available from that long ago so those things and there's photography of her. And one book that I found about her uh, eventual mate, and I'm not going to sort of like, I try to stretch, don't want to give away too much of the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, he, this one book written by a uh, medical doctor from Nigeria, who wasn't a historian, but was fascinated by this particular man from history, and he wrote um, just a detailed book about this gentleman who was an incredibly wealthy um, African businessman, but his his history was quite um, uh, intriguing and had a, a, a folded in very nicely to the story of Sarah Forbes Benetta. Um, and I've talked a lot about Sarah Forbes Benetta, but her original name. Uh, is spelled A-I-N-A. I have been pronouncing it Anya, but, um, you know, I'm not absolutely sure that's the actual pronunciation. But the first, very first thing that she experienced after being rescued was her name was changed by the church, by the missionaries in Africa, which is a strong element of of what she experienced, her guardianship, her day-to-day routine was put in the hands of missionaries and or pastors in London when she lived in reverence and 
those people because that was a very tight community that had a strong connection to the the royal family. So what I found really, I love that this, I love that you wrote this book. I love this book. Um, <laughs> I, I think, well, Tessa was so right. I'm just like, why wasn't there a book about her? Like, it's such a, the, her life is so interesting and so fascinating. And the, I just want to talk a minute about the princess element. So she was a mm-hmm. princess mm-hmm. as a young girl, like she was the daughter yes. of the king. But then when Queen Victoria, when she went to England, and again, not to spoil all the different places she goes, but she she's part of high society. Like she's hanging out with Queen yeah. Victoria's daughter. She, Everyone knows this black girl is a princess. And that's so interesting. Yeah. And, and again, I relied on newspaper articles. When she first arrived in Africa, the press, the British press is consistent over centuries in being very intrigued by the royal family's comings and goings and their friends and what have you. So there were news articles that were just like, hey, what is Queen Victoria doing with this black girl from Africa that is always at royal functions and and uh, with her children traveling, etc., etc. So that provided me with the idea that there was a connection, a strong relationship between the children and a Sarah Forbes Benetta, uh, because the queen was still the queen and she she didn't just hang out. She didn't hang out with all of her 10 kids or how many of her she had. I had to keep track in a timeline of how are they now? Where are they they now? Um, And it seems logical to have Princess Alice be her buddy because they're the same age. Uh, You know, even um, uh, Walter, you have his name in your head better than I do. He even alluded to that possibility in his 1999 book, and it totally made sense. And then I found some letters that her daughter wrote years later, uh, Victoria Randall, uh, Davis Randall, but Victoria, um, her eldest daughter, was Victoria's actual godchild delivery of the spoon they had to ask for permission to name her victoria and the whole lineage thing happened there just because it's in my head another fun fact that i found was on ancestry.com of all places they have there's one family called the shone family s-c-h-o-n i can't remember exactly how i spelled it but they're one of the locations that she lived their entire census from 1860 is on Ancestry.com. But not only do you get the family and who was in the house at that time, you also get their neighbors. You also get, you know, it's just this whole book, practically, of how they connected communities and and the information being there from the 1860s. I know those people who work back in the 1600s are like, what do you mean? That sounds like, you know, easy as pie. All you have to know. To me, after spending, so most of my stories are in the early 20th century. So um, I was very excited to find these, these places, you know, writing and creating and history, I think, facts and 
all of that good stuff in for me go hand in hand because they and I get inspired by that what if that turns out to be gee whiz that happened so how can I make sure my characters are strong and pulling through as characters and doing and and doing the job that they're supposed to do in terms of emotional arcs and changes, but then just sort of just stringing in, threading in uh, thematically um, those points from history, because otherwise you go down a rabbit hole. And I said thematically, deliberately, because um, you want to stay focused so that if your theme is X, you know which bits of history work best in terms of your storytelling, or hopefully that's the goal. <laughs> so, I mean, just related to that, I'm curious to know, so you, you've got all this research done, and then how do you turn that into a novel? I guess it's about the character. How did you find the character of Sarah to really guide the readers through? And now we're just going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. So the thing is, I have allergies. My nose gets stuffy. I get sort of sinus congestion, and it just really can sometimes get in the way of doing things I really want to be doing, like recording this podcast, for instance. But you might have noticed that when you're listening to this podcast, you never hear me sounding like a duck or uh, with a runny nose. I'm never wiping my nose or stuff on the microphone. And that's because luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. So I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies, and the thing is, when I'm using it, you won't even know that I have allergies. My voice sounds so crystal clear when I'm recording and when you're listening to me right now. But also when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing other life-related things, like just going about my day-to-day life, like sitting on the bus or going to work or whatever, going to the movie theaters. I don't have to worry about like, do I have tissues with me? Do I have a handkerchief? Is this noise bothering everybody? Am I being gross? Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I don't want to spoil, but there's one sequence in her life that was fact that gave me, I said, boy, this woman is stubborn. And that gave me, I said, well, how do you get stubborn? 
What is it that feeds into that sense of ownership at a young age? I own my own life and I'm going to. So what are those things that that a character in when you because it's fiction might happen to this character that would help build her up, bring her back down a little, build her back up again, build, you know, so what is that flow that really makes a difference. Another thing I looked into that was very important for me are the sounds of any time period I'm working in. Um, so the music is critical. The African music at that time, I mentioned in the story, some of the instruments that were a part of that period. And then I went and looked and listened to those sounds. Mendelssohn is a huge, was, I think is Victoria's favorite composer and and the the wedding march was played initially for i believe the royal princess royal under queen victoria who was victoria as well <laughs> victoria you know it's just everywhere and those sounds and exploring the music and the dance and as a former you know dancer actress person myself going through those arts uh, remembering my history of dance and and the polka and all of these things that were actually had their their great heyday in royal courts back in that time period. So it gives you a sense of the roundness of of life. And even in her small village, one of the lines that I use is that her mother tells her as a child, people are watching me. People are paying attention to our family because we are the king and queen and the princess and princesses, prince and princesses that they look up to, or if not look up to, they're watching. So be mindful of who you are publicly. And that's, you know, some of those themes, some of that information is something that we all experience, I think, on some level or not. That's the you know, yin and yang of it is like how much parental information sticks if you lose your parents at a young age or if you're displaced from uh, or an outliner in certain areas. How how do you uh, go about fitting in? What do you retain of your self-confidence or do you lose it? So those emotional character questions after you get all that history in your head, that's where you start writing. And I'm just curious, do you know why Tessa had said she wanted this book in the first place? Do you know why she felt this book needed to be in the world at this time? Why do you think this book connects to the world at this time? Yeah, because I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'll, I'll be quite honest. But I, I think that it... Um, and and she and I might share some of this opinion I'm about to throw out there, but hey, it's a heyday of conversation when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, I mean, I'm not a royal family follower. You know, I'm not, that's not my, you know, I'm not sitting there turning the page to see what's happening, but you couldn't avoid those stories. You couldn't avoid that news. Um, as an African-American woman, I'm looking at an African-American mixed race or mixed race woman presents herself as African-American. Is she's 
she was beautiful. She was all of these things. And then this whole thing with the press, it was just crazy pants. And then public opinion was so strong and continues to be strong about um, them. My last time I paid attention prior to paid attention to the royal family in a in a on a semi daily basis was um, when I was a kid and it was Princess Diana, and and so you always think about that and then I mean my goodness uh, Princess I mean Queen Elizabeth forever was queen it seemed you know um, lifetimes so that I'm sure fed into it and here was this young black African woman, young girl, who was a part of this royal family. And there's a parallelism. There's parallel things there, especially when it, well, there's the press, but there's also the control of the royal family over lives. That's another piece. You know, how do you control your own life? And back then, unless you're married, unless you have your own money, you're answering to your resources and your resource in the situation with Sarah Ford's Veneta was the royal family. That was where her money, that's how she survived. And I thought that was really interesting, the way that it comes across in your book, that she she's living this very privileged life, you know, once she's taken in by Victoria, she, you know, attending balls and all of these things, but she has, like, Victoria is deciding what happens to her. Like, she's actually quite powerless, even though it looks so glamorous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it's intriguing to me some of the um, comments. Um, I'm, I'm some of the reviewers, you know, Goodreads or what have you, which are, have been wonderful. Uh, but there, are some folks was like use that word privileged in describing her life. Um, I didn't see her as privileged. I saw her as surviving. I saw her first as a survivor and someone who said, okay, here's the situation I'm in. How do I get out of it what I want? And sometimes she succeeded. Sometimes she did not. She didn't see it as privilege at all. You know, going to balls, she accepted, this is my life. I'm going to balls. I'm not sitting here fantasizing about, oh, I want to be this, that, or the other. She's like, okay, this is what I should be doing if they're going to call me a princess. If I'm a princess, this is the life I should be leading. So it, it, it's interesting that how that word can be more privilege can be morphed in different directions. Absolutely. And I did want to just mention also, so you, Vanessa Riley is a friend of yours. I saw in the, yeah, um, yeah. in the, in the acknowledgements at the end, you give her a special shout out. And it's funny because when I was reading the book, I was like, Oh, you know, just, some of it reminded me, I had her on my podcast talking about Queen of Exiles. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then just some of the stuff in your book, I'm like, just the the imagery of like a real life Black woman attending the balls and all these social events and being talked about in the newspapers. I was like, oh, this reminds me of what Vanessa Riley was doing with Queen of Exiles. And it turns out you're both friends. So yes, yes, yes. And but also looking at the time period, I mean, Vanessa's books are 100 years earlier than mine. Um but there are some realities to being in a situation in a room full of people where you're the only person of color, okay? I've been in that situation many, many a time due to whatever circumstances I've, you know, business. You know, not necessarily publishing, but yeah, publishing. But in uh, corporate America where I've spent 
a lot of time. And you walk into a room and you recognize where you are, eyes on you, and your choice is to how to maneuver in that environment. At least to me, it's my choice. I'm, I'm definitely not going to go hide in the corner. Uh, I'm there for a reason. And I'm going to take opportunity in hand and do what I can with whatever my the reason is that I'm in that room um, or in that space at that ball, at that, you know, White House event or wherever uh, I may or might have been over time. So that feeling of being the princess at the ball, but not and being different than the other people at the ball. There are den- definitely different ways of of approaching that. And the women that we chose to write about were not afraid of that situation. I think that's the real similarity, <laughs> you know, fearlessness. You got to go in there and just go, hey, I'm here. Let's see what I can do with this. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, I I don't know. I was just it was reminding me of that, and then I read in your acknowledgments. Thank you to Vanessa. I'm like, Yay! oh okay, <laughs> my girl Vanessa. Yeah, always, yeah, always, yeah. And plus, she's um, uh, to talk about Vanessa for a minute here. She is a resource of information. She's been in this game for a minute, even though she looks like a child. But uh, she's been here, and she is a brilliant researcher and understands the time period that she she started in Regency and I she's one of the experts in Regency uh, time period I think that's out there and she shares that information visiting her web, website you're gonna get it you're gonna know stuff so what I do is like hey <laughs> and and we have <laughs> we'll have conversations where she says oh, I didn't have that that fabric in my time period, <laughs> or you know, we we weren't drinking that then, or this is the way you know we address this group, and because it is a difference, you know, and and for those who um, are definitely connected to, because this is Victorian, she's in Regency, and those who are readers who are like, oh, I, I know Regency. I know Victorian. You don't want to have them come after you, mm-hmm. and uh, so you do your best. Now, you know stuff can happen, but you do your very best to be true to the character and be true to the history. Yay! <laughs> so the the day that this book, or sorry, that this podcast episode comes out is going to be the same week that your book is published. So how how can people follow? Do you have events coming up on your website that are listed? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, everything that I'm doing is right so far is on the website. I will be, um, of course, I have to look at it myself because I just got back from a fabulous event in Chicago. I was at the 10th anniversary of the Women's Fiction Writers Association conference, and it was so much fun. It was just nice um, to be around a bunch of writers. The conference scene is something I haven't been doing that much of after pandemic years, and now I'm getting back into it. I had I uh, had a soft release in 22 um, because it was sort of like in well, actually, I did a lot in 22, but it's it seems so long ago. And so this year, um, I'm booked through I think March or April 
of 24, but I'll be doing um, live events or in-person events in Atlanta and all of it's on my website and um, we'll be adding things as we go. I'll be in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks at the Las Vegas Book Festival and then in January or February, there's other things coming. I mean, there's just stuff. It sort of grows. And what I try to do, my social media, I try to communicate and I have a newsletter and all the things to, to make sure people um, know what's, uh, what's happening over here. I have some more books coming out, in fact, in 24. I have two more books coming out in 24. That is, I know, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's like, you know, we had a lot of fun this past couple of days in Chicago. Folks are like, all you do is you're so busy. You're so busy. And I'm like, I've been waiting a long time to be this busy and I'm very excited about it. So it's okay. It's definitely okay. But I have two books coming out. I'll mention them March something or other, March 5th or the first Tuesday in March. The name of the book is Can't We Be Friends? Um, it's a novel of Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn Monroe that I co-wrote with the wonderful Eliza Knight. And then the second book coming out, not until later that year, July, August, uh, is called The Trial of Mrs. Rhinelander, which will be my second inspired by a true... Well, I guess no, because the Marilyn Ella isn't autobiographical. I mean, not auto. <laughs> Biographical historical fiction. I mean, we worked so hard on that book that there were times where Eliza and I were like, Eliza's Marilyn, I'm Ella, and we're just talking away. It's yeah, like, yeah. No, come back, come back. <laughs> um, reality check. But yeah, and I, I'm now that I think about it, I'm doing quite a few biographical historical fictions coming up. <laughs> How did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. You've made this pivot. You're so good at research. Here you are. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's it. Maybe that is actually it. So it's, it's, I enjoy it. It's like always learning. Uh, that's the part I really like because I'm learning too. It's not like I'm a history professor or uh, academic. I am a history geek. And so when I set out to uh, explore, a, a, um, you know, a real life figure, historical figure, I'm digging in from different directions too, because of my arts background. You know, I'm always trying to find a connection between music, dance, theater, things like that. Because when I write a scene, for example, I will sometimes just turn on the um, microphone on my computer and I just act it out. I don't, I just talk, act it out. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness I live by myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> Folks would be kept like, what are you doing? <laughs> what I love about that approach, and it really, it comes out through through this book as well, is that you really bring, you're so excited about the history, obviously. And then through a novel, you know, not everybody's going to sit down and read a biography or a history book, but a novel. So then people are going to learn this story. And because you like you've done so much research and so many facts, I feel comfortable in thinking, oh, now I know the story of Sarah Forbes Bonetta because you told it through this fictional way. And then people are going to know this story of her. And that's so great. Yes. That plus there is interpretation. There's a lot of fiction in fiction. Yes. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's a lot of fiction. You know, when I start having dialogue of a five-year-old, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's not necessarily, I wasn't there, but, 
again, uh, recently taught something and we talked about history as a jumping off point. It's an inspiration. If you, it's sort of like muscle memory and dance. Uh, back in the day when I used to do that professionally, once that is ingrained in your body, you have the freedom to be creative. You have the freedom to move any way you want to move because your body knows what's the right way. And so absorbing the history that matters because you don't want to go down rabbit holes and that can take you 10 years to write a book if you get, you know, and then your story goes this way and that way as well. Um, it's really satisfying to have it in your head and, and then you just go with it. And then you just go with the story. And that's really challenging. I think any writer will tell you every book is a new challenge, uh, no matter how many books, even the Vanessa Rileys of the world who have more than 25 versus Denny who has written five, but three are in the marketplace. You still are there with character, 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 and starting each book is a new adventure. Well, Denny, thank you so much for, for talking with me today about this book. Sarah Forbes Bonetta is someone, I'm just excited there's a book about her as well. It's, you know, I follow different um, Instagram accounts that just sort of, sort of show old photographs of people. And then they just show a picture and then they say, this is who this is. And Sarah Forbes Bonetta comes up every now and then. And I'm just like, I want to know more about her. Who is this person? So I was so happy to know that this book exists. Well, I'm so glad you had a chance to read it. And I'm so glad you invited me to join your program, your podcast, because I listened to it. And as you say, you you talk to people I know, and it's <laughs> fun. It's fun to um, have uh, to hear more people talking about historical fiction. It's um, it's a, a, a genre that continues to excite people. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Well, thank you so much for joining me and best of luck when with your book launch, which is coming October 3rd. Yeah, yeah. Just when this Yay! podcast comes out. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. So again, this book, which is so good, it's called The Other Princess, a novel of Queen Victoria's goddaughter. And you can learn more about Denny, including links to all of her social media, her newsletter and stuff. It's all at dennysbrice.com. And this is Vulgar History. And if you want to keep up with me and this show, so I have a website, which is vulgarhistory.com. And if you go there, there are transcripts for the most recent episodes available. Um, they're done by Aveline Malik from The Wordery. Thank you so much, Aveline, for making this podcast available to people who like to read podcasts. You can also get in touch with me there. There's a contact form at vulgarhistory.com. You could also get in touch with me at vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at Vulgar History Pod. I'm on TikTok at Vulgar History. Who knows what's happening right now with social media, but if you go to a social media place and look for Vulgar History, chances are I'm going to be there. Vulgar History merchandise is available if you go to vulgarhistory.com store. That is the best shipping for within the U.S. It takes you to a tea Public store. There's also, if you're outside the U.S., there's a Redbubble store, which is vulgarhistory.redbubble.com, where you can get all the same products. I also have a Patreon, so you can support this podcast um, on Patreon at patreon.com slash Writer, And that's where you donate a small monthly amount of money, and then in return, you get some stuff. So if you donate at least $1 a month, you get early ad-free access to all episodes of Vulgar History Podcast. If you pledge $5 or more a month, you get access to the early ad-free episodes, but also bonus episodes I do there. So Vulgar Peace Theater, 
where we talk about costume dramas from history, as well as a series that I call So This Asshole. Sometimes it's just So These Messy Bitches, just talking about people. They're shorter episodes than the regular vulgar history, and often I just talk about kind of shitty men, frankly, anyway. And you can get access to all of those for $5 or more a month. And then also, if you're at the $5 or more a month level, you get access to the Vulgar History Discord, which is like a group chat for people who are fans of this podcast to just like talk shit about John Knox and whatever we want to do. Anyway, so that's all at patreon.com slash Foster Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you all run out to get Denny's book. It's so good. If you live anywhere near where she's going to be touring, go, go see her. And until next time, my friends, keep your pants on and your tits out. Vulgar History is hosted, written, and researched by Anne Foster and edited by Christina Lumagi. Six girls. I'm Cassie Waters. Bridget Nilsson. Mariella Williams. I'm Gloria Smith. I'm Annabelle Perk. I'm Nadia Olson. One book. Light fades. Dark ascends, and whisper in shadow. And a demon from hell. <laughs> Calling Darkness. Available wherever you listen to your podcasts.